We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. But just what type of governance did our founders establish in this more perfect union? This episode of the Free to Be Free podcast will tackle that question. And I hope you'll find that the answer is at the same time both more complex and simpler than you might initially think. This is the Free to Be Free podcast, encouraging you to assert your liberty because you are free to be free. As I said in the intro to this podcast, the question of what type of governance this more perfect union has is at the same time more complex and yet simpler than you might first think. So let's start with the more complex piece. If you were to ask anybody what type of government do we have here in the United States, one of their first answers might be, hey, we're a democracy. Everybody gets a say. We get to elect our leaders. And yeah, but democracy isn't exactly correct. Others may say, we're a republic. After all, when you recite the Pledge of Allegiance, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, that should be obvious. We're a republic. Well, yes, but not exactly. So to answer this question, I went to the CIA World Factbook, and this is a compilation of information on every nation in the world, and The CIA World Factbook classifies our form of governance as a constitutional federal republic. Now, there's a lot to that, and I would even argue that that's not exactly correct. So to straighten this all out, let's start at the beginning by looking at some different forms of governance. And I've included a link in the show notes to the reference material I'm using for these definitions. But before we became a nation, of course, we were colonies as a part of the British Empire. And that form of governance, the British Empire, was a monarchy. And a monarchy is a government in which the supreme power is lodged in the hands of a monarch who reigns over a state or territory, usually for life and by hereditary right, And the monarch may be either a sole absolute ruler or a sovereign with some limitations, but is generally a king, a queen, a prince, something of that nature. So King George was uh, the, the head of the British Empire, a monarch, a king. And we, like anybody else in the empire, were his subjects. Well, that all changed. And as you know, in 1776, the the colonies of the United States declared their independence. And after a long-fought war, uh, we emerged from that and formed into a confederacy. 
there were the Articles of Confederation, which went into effect on March 1st, 1781. Now, a confederation is a union by a compact or a treaty between a number of states. So these 13 colonies were independent sovereigns, and they came together in this compact called the Articles of Confederation. And what it does is it creates a central government with some limited powers, and the constituent entities, the states, will retain supreme authority over all matters except those that are delegated to the central government. We operated under the Articles of Confederation until the U.S. Constitution was effected on March 4th, 1789. Now, as I said, most of us think this is a, the type of government that was formed by the Constitution is a democracy. And this is a type of government which the supreme power is retained by the people. And yes, that is true of the United States. And although uh, a democracy can be take the form of uh, the people electing their representatives, in a true democracy, uh, the people themselves would vote on the laws and basically the majority rules. Whatever the majority says goes. And in fact, there are elements of that type of democracy in our nation. Uh, when you see ballot initiatives, things on the ballot, and voters get to vote uh, whether they want to implement certain laws or not. But that doesn't completely describe the type of government that we have. Now, I also mentioned a republic. And a republic is simply a representative democracy in which the people's elected deputies, their representatives, the president, uh, congressmen, senators, uh, state representatives, governors, and so on, not the people themselves, vote on legislation. And in fact, the Constitution in Article 4, Section 4, states that the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government. Now, that's the only instance of the word Republican in the Constitution, and there's no instance of the word Democratic. Now, I, I don't want to get anybody uh, worried or upset here. I'm not talking about Republican and Democrat in terms of the political parties and the guaranteeing a Republican form of government in the Constitution certainly does not say only Republicans, that political party, can serve in the government. It's simply talking about the, the concept of a representative democracy shall be guaranteed. In the CIA definition, it also included the word federal. It's, they say we're a constitutional federal republic. So a federal republic or a federal type of uh, government is a government where sovereign power is actually divided, usually between a central government and then regional or state governments. And you can probably imagine that with our form of governance, where we have a federal government with certain defined powers and then state governments with powers that they have retained. Now, there is a key difference between a, a federal government or a federation, which is an element of the government that we have, and a confederacy. And that is, in a federation or a federal government, the central government exerts influence directly upon both individuals in that country as well as upon the regional units or the states. 
whereas in a confederacy, the federal government deals directly with the states and does not exert direct influence upon the citizens of those states. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. So we can put some of these things together. For example, a democratic republic. That's a state where the supreme power rests in the body of citizens, but they're entitled to vote for officers and representatives, and that sounds like an element of our governance. You can also have a federal republic, and that's a state where the powers of the central government are restricted and in which the component parts, these states, maintain a degree of self-government but ultimate sovereign power rests with the voters who choose their governmental representatives. Now there's another wrinkle to our form of government, and that is that it's a constitutional government. We have a constitution that plays a significant role. And that's a government by or operating under an authoritative document, the constitution, that sets forth the system of fundamental laws and principles, and it determines the nature and function, and more importantly, the limits of that government. So our founders did not rely on one simple form of governance. They did an amalgam, a mixture, of what they thought were the best parts of a number of forms of government. And I would say the best way to describe our government is it's a constitutional federal democratic republic, expanding on the CIA definition, because we have elements of each of those forms of governance. Now, something significant really happened when the current constitution took effect on March 4th, 1789. And I want to return back to uh, that difference between a confederacy and a federal form of government. You remember I said that in a federal form of government, <clears throat> the central government exerts influence and authority over both the states and the people, whereas in a confederacy, the federal government deals just with the states. And something really significant changed there. First of all, we mark the implementation of the United States Constitution as uh, this big turning point in governance in the U.S., and, and it was. But the implementation of a constitutional form of government was not new at that point. Each of the former colonies became constitutional forms of governance in the period between 1776 and 1780, uh, even before the Articles of Confederation were effective. So the people of the several states saw themselves as citizens of their own states, and in fact they were when a constitutional form of governance was established in each state. Now prior to that, they were citizens of a colony as part of the British monarchy. And the term we would refer to for those people is they were subjects of the British Empire or subjects of King George. But when each colony implemented a constitution, they now became citizens of their states, not subjects. And this is significant because a citizen is actually an office or plays a role in the governance of the state. But then something else very significant happened 
on March 4, 1789, when the U.S. Constitution went into effect. Every citizen of the states, the 13 former colonies, suddenly became owners of dual citizenship. They were citizens of their states, but then they were also citizens of the United States of America because of our federal constitutional democratic republic form of government. This role of the citizen in governance is unique to a constitutional form of government. A close reading of the Articles of Confederation will find the word citizen appears one time in that document. And in the context, it refers to the citizen of a state, not citizens of the Confederation. There were no citizens of the Confederation. The U.S. Constitution has multiple references to the term citizen. There are 15 references to a citizen of the United States, six to citizens of the states. Therefore, the argument that we now have dual citizenship as citizens of states and citizens of the United States. And then there were two other references to citizens of foreign states. So this concept of a citizen being an office or a significant role in government is critical, and it's going to play into the simpler explanation of the form of government we have, which I'll discuss in a moment. But for now, for the complex answer, I hope we can agree that our form of government is a constitutional federal democratic republic drawing elements from those four forms of governance to form what our founders believe is a more perfect union. However, I believe there is a simpler and much more accurate description of the type of governance our founders had in mind when they created this more perfect union. And I'm going to share this with you through a story, a true story, and I've included a, a link to the source material for this story in the show notes, and I'd encourage you to take a look at it. So Mellon Chamberlain, in his book, John Adams, the Statesman the American of the American Revolution, records the text of his remarks to the Sons of the American Revolution, which he presented on April 19th in 1894. In the, his remarks, he shares an interview he had with Captain Levi Preston, a participant in the battle at Concord. It was on April 19th of 1775 that the American Revolutionary War started with the battles at Lexington and Concord. At the time of the interview, Preston was 91 and Chamberlain was 21. And this was in 1842 that the interview took place. At the time of the Battle of Concord, Captain Preston would be in his early 20s. So the interview started like this. Chamberlain asked, Captain Preston, why did you go to the Concord fight the 19th of April, 1775? And Preston replied, why did I go? Chamberlain said, yes, my histories tell me that you men of the revolution took up arms against intolerable oppressions. Preston responded, what were they, oppressions? I didn't feel them. Chamberlain pressed further, what? Were you not oppressed by the Stamp Act? 
Preston responded, I never saw one of those stamps and always understood that Governor Bernard put them all in Castle William. I am certain I never paid a penny for one of them. Then Chamberlain asked, well, what then of the tea tax? Preston responded, tea tax? I never drank a drop of the stuff. The boys threw it all overboard. Then Chamberlain pressed again. Then I suppose you read Harrington or Sidney and Locke about the eternal principles of liberty. Preston's response, never heard of them. We read only the Bible, the Catechism, Watts Psalms and Hymns, and the Almanac. Chamberlain finally said, well then, what was the matter? And what did you mean in going to the fight? And Preston responded, young man, what we meant in going for those redcoats was this. We always had governed ourselves, and we always meant to. They didn't mean we should. For Chamberlain, that remarkable interview turned conventional wisdom on its head. Later in the writing, Chamberlain concluded, The attitude of the colonists was not that of slaves seeking liberty, but of free men, free for more than five generations, resisting political servitude. So I believe that Captain Preston summed up the form of governance that we have in this more perfect union. As he said, we always had governed ourselves and we always meant to. What he's describing is a system of self-governance. And I believe that's what the founders gave us in this more perfect union. It's a system of self-governance that exists by taking pieces of constitutionalism, federalism, democracy, republicanism, and putting that all together to come up with a system of self-governance. And if you remember from some of my discussion earlier, the role of citizen is critical in self-governance. Can you imagine Captain Preston's commitment to his principle of self-governance that it was so important to him that he was willing to go up against the largest, most powerful army of his time to preserve his liberty? Now, we're in the same position. I could use Captain Preston's words myself, yet not talking about redcoats, but talking about a federal government that has too much power. I can say what we meant in going for the federal government to reduce its power was this. We always had governed ourselves, and we always meant to. They didn't mean we should. So my argument here is that we were gifted this type of self-governance in this more perfect union, but it's up to us to keep it up to us as citizens to exercise the office of citizens of the United States of America to preserve this system of self-governance. So the question is, do you share Levi Preston's commitment to self-governance? The good news is, if you do, you don't have to take up arms and risk your life to claim your right to self-governance. Our founders gave us a way in the Constitution, Article 5, through a convention of the states to propose amendments to restrain the federal government because 
they don't mean that we should govern ourselves. So are you ready to faithfully execute the office of citizen of the United States of America to protect and defend the Constitution from all enemies, both foreign and domestic? If so, join us at conventionofstates.com. This is the Free to be Free podcast. I'm Paul Phillips. The opinions expressed are my own. You can learn more about the Convention of States project at conventionofstates.com. You can also find the Convention of States project on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. The first thing that you'll want to do at conventionofstates.com is to learn the issue for yourself. Then you'll want to sign the petition. To let your state legislators know that you are ready to assert your liberty through an Article 5 Convention of the States. Until next time, stay free, my friends.